Welcome to What Are You Sporting About podcast, a podcast about business, employment, sports, and entertainment to help educate, support, and guide you to your next level. Here's your host, Attorney Savania DeBarros. guys. So I am back. Savanya DeBarro is a protector of athletes. And today I am talking with Miss Takara Ross. Hi. Hey, how are you? I'm doing, doing well. So um, I am so happy that you are joining me on this podcast. And for our listeners, whether you are seeing this somewhere or you're listening on your favorite platform, you are going to get the benefit of being poured into by Miss Ross today. So, uh, Sakara, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you've gotten now in the position where you are. All right, let's see. So, I'm an inner city kid, grew up south side of Chicago, um, and somehow found my way to Iowa out of all places. And um, <laughs> I, I just grew into this um, this really articulate um, human. I was I was thrusted into an environment that uh, I had to assimilate into very quickly. And what that did for me was um, it allowed me to flourish in ways that I probably wouldn't have done had I stayed in the inner city. Um, from there, I, I grew into a love of sports. Soccer actually um, was my first love. And from there, I just I just tried everything. I did my hand in a little bit of everything. And eventually, um, I became um, a really good basketball player. And that took me to, um, to Iowa State. To Iowa State, I was wow. playing a cyclone. <laughs> yeah, I became an Iowa State Cyclone. Um, my long life dream of becoming um, a Division One basketball player and letting that door open to so many mm-hmm. other amazing opportunities. And um, from there, I got to experience becoming a professional basketball player. And you fast forward 12 years later, I'm still here. Still here, still That's grateful, amazing. still moving about. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will not complain at all. Even Look, in you're talking adversity. You're talking about soccer. So in the book, What Are You Sporting About? It's one of the things that I <laughs> introduced my readers about being an athlete, but soccer was a sport where I was fast. I was definitely fast, but where I grew up at, I was the only Black anything on that team. Black mm. girl, um, Black player, regardless of gender. And I felt so uncomfortable as a child, just because I didn't see other people who looked like me. There was no representation, not the coaches, you know, no parents other than mine. If they came and I begged my mom, <laughs> let me off the team. Not because I was sorry, <laughs> but just because it just did not feel right. Um, so that's that's interesting, having someone, talking to someone who actually have a love for soccer but ended up playing a completely different, <laughs> completely different sport. I think I, I I can empathize with that because I was the only black or brown kid, and they added myself was like, okay, black kid, let's put her in sports. She's athletic. <laughs> let's just try her and everything. So I literally bounced around to every sport. Every season, I was in a different sport. I love soccer, but I was I was good, so I did everything, mm-hmm. and then I had to navigate through what felt good all the time. Yeah. And I went from an amazing tenure of playing. I played soccer since I was a little kid. So mm-hmm. I ended up going from having success in that sport and being really good to playing on a basketball team that happened to be 0-94 at the time. And people were confused. They're like, 
why are you yeah, going to the where you're not going to receive any type of success? Right. But it felt good. Mm-hmm. It felt good. Something in me clicked and said, you know what? I know at a very early age that I can use the sport, not that the sport could use me. Mm. I don't know how I knew that, why I felt <laughs> way. I just knew that this sport, more than soccer, I was going to be able to use this to change the direction of my life. I knew that very, very early. Mm-hmm. So from that, that's how I approached the sport from then on. I was happy that it opened all of these type of doors, but I knew I was going to use you to get to college. I was going to use yeah. you to graduate. I was going to use you to become a professional player. Like I knew that early and I was going to use you to change the projection of my life to help my family. I knew mm-hmm. that very early. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, a very pivotal statement that you made because we see a lot of people, whether they are playing the sport or working in a sport, it's the afterthought of what the sport can do for them, not how they're going to tap into that, which answers the question, what are you sporting about? It's not what kind of sport do I want to play? How, if you have a love for sport, and even if you don't have a love for a particular sport, there is something in your life, like you said, that should make you feel good. That should make you wake up at the end of the day. And when you find that thing, right, how do you tap into that to help you achieve the end goal? What does that end goal even look like for you? You have a love for sports. You know, it was something that made you get up every day. But aside from that, you also already cultivated a pathway to where you would you would have that sports or that team atmosphere to help you actually carve out a life for you in the future. And a lot of people don't have not even thought that far ahead, you know, when they start playing. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I just realized um, what I'm learning in my thirties, my thirties have been so amazing in the sense of I'm able to relanguage parts of my, um, my childhood. Oh, nice. Childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. I have been able to, Relanguage parts of my childhood. So as I as I retell this story now, um, I was able to use my circumstance. I realized at a very young age about my circumstance and how to not only how to use it, but how to not sit in that victimhood. It's, mm. it's, it's very easy to do that when you because we a lot of us athletes have that story. We do. We really do. Of coming from the hood, trying to make it out, using ball like that—that—that that, that, it's almost a yeah. stereotype, like using ball to get it out is. of that type of situation. But I knew very early that that wasn't going to be my story. Mm-hmm. I knew very early that again, I was going to use the sport, but I was also going to be able to relanguage how the sport was going to use me. And while I can tell that story of how I had mm-hmm. that adversity, it was how I told it, and that—that's yes. part of how I'm learning to how to parallel it with how I'm becoming a storyteller as an adult. I'm able to relanguage that transition of my life. And mm-hmm. at the time, I didn't know how those pieces were going to align, but I finally see how it's aligning and how all that time I was so in depth to tell the story a certain way. I'm fleshing it out now in my adulthood. Yeah. And I, the fact that it's coming, um, that the pieces are coming together now, I'm just like, oh, that makes sense. Yep. 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 I, I love that. I absolutely love it. Um, I knew that there was a lot of synergy between you and I, because a lot of what I wrote in my book, when you and I connected, it just, 
when you're living your purpose, I just feel like God brings the right people to you anyway. Um, and I did actually, I did an episode on the pro, the pro victim, which is a chapter mm-hmm. in the book. And mm-hmm. it's about taking those hurts and pains and the environmental issues that you suffered, you know, in the past and basically uh, showing a flashlight on why you are now still allowing yourself to be the victim in the yeah. present, you know, and like you said, you're, you're taking, you're relanguaging the mm-hmm. things from your past to help you live better in your purpose in today's time. A lot of people I feel have voluntarily taken on the cloak of the stereotype of what an athlete yeah. or the stereotype of who a black woman is you know, a stereotype of what a homemaker is, you know, um, and it doesn't have to be your story. It doesn't. And that's when it comes to my brand, I'm very much like, I don't want to tell a story of struggle. And I don't want to teach others to tell that story of struggle. Yes, we have to tell certain aspects of how we got here. Right. But the, but the encompass of how we, how we tell it, it doesn't have to live in struggle. I've lived that story of struggle. I don't get to take that with me when I'm, when I'm telling the world about it. Yes. 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 I absolutely agree. I absolutely, you don't have to wear it as a badge of honor. Um, You don't have to we think we do. We think, we think that that's part of how we need to navigate and how people will hear us. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's not always, the case. And I also feel there may be, there may be times and opportunities where your struggle come into play to help motivate or inspire someone out of the current situation where, where they're currently are. However, every day, like, let me give you an example. I personally know someone. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what happens. I mean, it's so many years have gone past, but this particular individual cannot move past things that have happened to them in their childhood or Mm -hmm. the way they feel, the way they were treated in their childhood, it's a mask for everything, for how other people treat them. You know, I know someone else who, because of their sexual orientation, now I'm not a, a psychotherapist or mental health professional or anything, but I feel when, if you have not, found your own healing and your own peace within, it's easy now to pass off that perspective onto a third party who may not even be, may not think of you in the way that you think they think of you. And that's because you are only seeing yourself in that lens. You know, you have, you're living in your, you're living your present based on the story that happened to you in the past. That's not necessarily a good thing. So Keep yeah, it. we often have these blocks. We have these blocks that we don't necessarily. We all have to work. We all have to do this type of work. Right. But not all of us have reached those certain pivotal moments in our life where we can navigate through those blocks. And we talk yeah. about resources. We're not all in depth with the right resources to do that. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. There's a level of compassion and empathy that we have to navigate through to do that. Yeah. And some of us aren't on all there, and yeah. that's why it's so important for us as women, for us as Black women, to constantly get our stories out there. But it's how yes. we do it. Because yes. the way we do it is going to be, um, it might be a key for someone else to break a block, yep. push through something. Yep. So that's why I'm so mindful of how I not only tell my story, but teach others 
how to yes. tell their story. Because yes. there's a way to do it. A lot of us have found a way to do it in a way that doesn't hold us back. Yes, I love that. I love that. Now, um, with keeping that in mind, how important, and I think we've kind of covered this a little bit, but just to reiterate for our listeners and viewers, how important is it to own your own narrative and maintain your own individual individuality during your athletic journey, during a career as a woman? Let's say both you and I have played sports. I did not make it to the pro level. <laughs> However, I still have that journey of being a woman. I still have that journey of being a black woman and the journey of being a wife and a mother. Right. So we have so many different people who may connect with us just from the, the love of sports in itself, but they're still trying to find their own narrative or their individuality. Why is that even important? I think it's important to not only own our own narrative, but to to say it and speak it orally. We can write, we can do all these things, but mm -hmm. at this stage of where we are in life and everything that's going on in life, the way we tell our story has to be so radical. And the only way we've learned to do that is to speak it. Mm -hmm. There's so much power in how we use our tongue. Everything mm -hmm. that we've done in this world that has seen healthy fruition has come from our mouth. Yeah. So it is so important to start telling our own stories because we've already seen how other people tell our stories. If there's no Girl. balance in that. There's no balance in that. There's no, there's no compassion in that. Yeah. And what I've learned, if anything, is like I'm at a point in my life where you don't get to tell my story. Yes, You're not going to tell my story as honest, as compassionate, yeah. and as full of empathy as right. I will. You're not going to do it. We've seen the other examples of how people have done it, and they ain't doing it right. Mm -hmm. So why not stand in your truth? Why not stand right. in your power and, and tell your story? Right. Who's going to tell it better than you? Right. Oh so my I'm, especially women, especially women, I just get so, and I'm so excited about how it's being done now yeah because women are like it's almost like we're starting we, i'm speaking from a woman a, a woman's perspective because it's it's i'm around so many beautiful black women right now mm -hmm. in my life and it is so breathtaking to see my sisters my friends my family just really like say no yeah per period yeah. say no period. or say yes yep. in such a vibrant way that's so radical and so yeah. loving for themselves and I, I tried on every opportunity where I see a woman a black woman a queer person stand in their power to acknowledge it mm -hmm. we haven't spent a lot of time acknowledging that and it mm -hmm. appears because I, it just makes me so happy to see it yeah I, we've all lived in a space where we haven't seen it and we've, yeah. we've peered through we've been that fly on the wall and been like oh I wish she would just stand up for herself yeah now, now we're doing it we are and it's so fantastic yeah. to see because there's so much resilience and power in that. It's, it's almost a spiritual undertaking. It, it absolutely right is. Now. Yep. It absolutely is. And I, you know, we've heard so many times that the black woman is the most abused woman in America. And it's true. And aside from your own individualized childhood experiences, 
we have the issue of how the entire world views us too, that we carry on our backs in a way that we have to now find a way to push past that to create our own narrative. And like you said, being radical and standing in your truth, standing in your power, you don't have to have a particular platform to stand in your power. You know, there is something that we all have that make us unique in this Mm -hmm. world. But I swear to God, like you've given me chills because it puts me in the mind frame of Les Brown when he says Mm -hmm. that you have a gift, but our voices have been pushed down so much and for so long that it, it takes a lot of courage. You know, it takes a lot of courage for me to have this interview with you. It takes a lot of courage for me to have this podcast and be speaking to people every week. That in itself is scary. You but know, that moment of courage is helping people like me exactly. in my power. And I'm like, wow, she's doing this. I can do this. Like, this was scary for right. me to hop on a call. But I'm like, I saw another example of what that courage and that empowerment looks like. And we need yes. More. Yep. And that's exactly what Les Brown says. If you don't live in your dream, you will take that to the grave with you and other people will be lost because they did not get to be fed what it is that you were blessed Mm -hmm. with. That gift, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think it was, um, I think Oprah said it. She was like, um, no, it was Oprah. Joel Osteen said it on Oprah's podcast. It was, um, as long as you have breath, Mm. it's what you have. And I remember listening to that and it shook me to the core because we all, human nature, we're fallible. So it, yeah. it, we move, we move, the ego moves in doubt often more yeah. than we would like. And to have that reminder of it doesn't matter because we live in this world of influencers. We got we to do a yeah. big or no one's going to see us or hear us. But yeah. if we take it back to our breath and we right. take it back to every moment right. of movement, of thought, that I'm giving something, that I'm serving, yes. that I'm being a yes. that that in itself is radical. That we is have to start true. relanguaging what radical means. Yep. And how yep. we show up for ourselves. And that's why I always go back to it's a spiritual thing that we're doing mm-hmm. to, to, to gather up all that courage and to show up mm-hmm. for ourselves and relanguage for ourselves. Like that's what we need right now. And it's been so amazing to see, especially with like the protests and all the women just standing up and all the little pieces of radicalness how we're doing it with so much grace that's been the most exciting thing yes yep because now it it truly is redefining the narrative you know (laughs) to truly tell our own story and it's so necessary it's so necessary Mm -hmm. I mean it's just an absolute beautiful thing and I really hope I mean that this conversation is not just for women it's for anybody and we So we see ourselves in a very difficult political climate, health climate, we're dealing with the pandemic. You know, if there wasn't a time ever, now is the time. Now is the time. Now (laughs) Now is is the time. time. (laughs) Like, it's almost like I have to constantly, I'm in my head a lot. I'm very analytical analytical in that sense. And um, I constantly remind myself of like, there ain't no other time. It's right now in the now. moment. Yep. And whenever there's a movement of doubt in me, I have to like yeah. snap back and be like, what you wait for, girl? Yeah. Now is the time. Now is the time. Yep. And I, you know, I get so tired and exhausted, but I think 
more than failing, I'm more afraid of dying without having done anything. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's not like I'm trying to cut my own life short. God knows I'm not. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like, I cannot leave this earth and have not lived my purpose or done whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing because yeah. people need help. And in so many ways, even when we, we reach out to be of service and help other people, guess what ends up happening? We end up actually helping ourselves. We do. Yeah. We speak like, oh, that's what I needed all along. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I needed myself. That's what we forget. Like in the process of serving others, we also fill ourselves up. Yes. It's absolutely. almost like this beautiful surprise for us. And we're like, oh, is that all I needed? That was, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So you are doing something that's uh, so amazing and it's inspiring, especially by helping people to learn how to uh, create and write their own stories, changing the narrative. So how does this translate into um, creating and documenting, documenting a legacy off the court or off the field, what, regardless of whatever sport an individual may be in? Okay, so I don't know how I, I kind of, I think it's just who I am. I've always been in this position to, um, to serve, and even on the court. Um, I've just been that, you know, a leader Mm -hmm. and I've had to really tap into what that means on the court and really turn that into being a vocal leader. What I have found myself doing more so in the, as I transition out of the sport has been to advocate for those players still in the sport who have yet tapped into what their, what their personal narrative is. While I've been playing, I've had a unique opportunity to work remotely, and I've um, had the apprenticeship of working um, in the publishing industry and tapping right. into to storytelling and, 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 and just really leaning into what that looks like from a publishing standpoint. And I've been able to publish a lot of books. And when I've, what I've realized in that are these beautiful different little pockets of story and what I wanted to cultivate out of that was allowing athletes to share those same stories in their own special way. And we talk about it in our own little communities when we're overseas mm-hmm. about all these adversities and all these, you know, these champion moments that we have off the court. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, why aren't we, why aren't we sharing this on a bigger platform? Why aren't we, yeah. why does it have to stay in our tight knit communities? And so as athletes, we automatically have this, this, this intuitive confidence in us. Mm-hmm. To be an elite athlete, you have to have that or you will not survive. So I wanted to tie in what we already have as athletes, um, this confidence, mm-hmm. and, and tie it together with storytelling. And I wanted to create a platform to allow athletes to share that on in such a vulnerable way, in a safe way. A lot of people don't know when we're overseas, um, we're, in, we're in a, sometimes in a state of isolation. We go to practice, we, mm-hmm. we integrate with our teammates. But when we're done with that, we come back home and we, we do our best to connect with friends and family and such. But a lot of the times those stories and those interactions, they stay here. We don't get to share them. We don't necessarily have our friends and family come overseas and talk mm-hmm. to us about what's happening. And so, again, I wanted to create a space where we could be just as vulnerable to be able to tell those stories um, to the people at home, to the mm-hmm. people around the world. And so that's, that's what I plan on doing. We get to be vulnerable off the court. 
Mm-hmm. We're so vulnerable. And at times that's even, you know, we're sometimes we're told we can't be too vulnerable on the court. I want to remove the court. Mm-hmm. I want you to take your experience off the court. Yeah. And tell the world about it. So that's what I'm birthing right now. That's a unique awesome. opportunity for athletes to be just as vulnerable as they are on the court and sharing that skill to do it off the court. Yeah. There's a unique space for us to do that. And and yeah. I'm excited to share that with the with, with the athletes that I've been able to help serve mm-hmm. and the future athletes. That is so awesome. That is so awesome because sports just like anything else, there there's a, a shelf life, you know, and you have to have the end goal in mind. What is it that, that you want post sports? Even if you're still playing, what is it that you want post sports? And so helping people to now find that vulnerable space to really tap into their stories will help them to create a legacy that they can live on forever. And then books is definitely a great way, you know, so publish a book, you get royalties from it. Right. Yep. Yep. It's another Um, way to, we're always talking about how can we leverage ourselves as athletes. It's just, it's just another way. It's another way to do that. But it's also, it goes back to owning the narrative. It's my story. I wrote it. Yep. No one else got no one to else write did. it. Yep. Everyone's constantly saying, you're an athlete. You need to do this, this, and this, and you need to stay in your lane. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to create another lane for us, another yeah. way to tell a story that they own. Yes. That's theirs. Yes. And make yes. it in a way, I'll be honest, make it in a way that's affordable. Make it in mm-hmm. a way that, that's easy, not a yes. headache, and, and, and a clean, safe space for them to just be themselves. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, Takara, it has been a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you. I mean, shoot, I've been getting goosebumps. You've been crying. (laughs) I'm a crier, y'all. I'm a crier. But that's, I mean, when you, when you do it, it's amazing. Yeah. I love it. The emotion is there. Yeah. The emotion is definitely there. The power is there and I can, I can feel it. I can feel it through this computer screen for sure, for sure. Um, you have definitely tapped into your purpose and you're living it. And that's amazing. You found what you're sporting about. So I am just so blessed that you came on to share what it is that you're working on and what gets you up, you know, every day uh, with our listeners. So how can people stay connected to you? You can stay connected with me on Instagram. My handle is Takara Renee. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook on all those same channels. So without Takara Renee, yeah, so reach out to me if you need anything. Awesome, awesome. And listen, guys, if you have not yet gotten your book, make sure you head over to Amazon and go and order What Are You Sporting About so that you can actually get caught up on some of these nitbit conversations that we talked about today. Again, this is Savani DeBarros, Protector of Athletes, and I am so happy that you joined us. Until next time, see you later. Ciao. Thanks for joining us this week on What Are You Sporting About? podcast. Make sure to visit our website, prosportlawyer.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite platform is so you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or iHeartRadio. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like the show, you might want to check out our book, 
what are you sporting about? Attorney Savania DeBarros is available for private consulting at sldebarros.com. And remember, we're here to educate, support, and guide you in your journey to success because we're all sporting about something. Thank you.